0: In verse 2, it says, And behold, there is a great earthquake. Here again we see Matthew, he talked about the earth earthquake um, at the crucifixion of Jesus, and we understand at that point in time, at the crucifixion there was a great earthquake, and it ripped the veil between the holiest of holies apart. And there again we see God ish- entering in a new age of... of approachment to him and then it says for the angel of the lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it we talked a little bit about that already i don't i don't know <laughs> i would like to know more about that just roll the stone back i that just doesn't seem to fit in the picture of what God's portraying here. I I see the stone, this is just my opinion, I see the stone just being obliterated. I mean, completely out of the track, out of, you know, so so it's obvious that no man did this. You know, like was stated before in our Sunday school lesson, there's more likely a track for what the stone was rolled around, rolled down the hill. And the Roman seal, quite possibly, there would have been ropes around the stone and then waxed with the Roman signet um that the guard would put his his stamp on there. And not only that is if this was tampered with, it was punishable punishable by death. So there's there's a lot of things, a lot of neat things that we can get out of this um scripture as we look at it. Verse three, it says, "His countenance was like lightning, and his raiment white as snow." There's there's quite a bit of of things that we can get from this verse. His countenance showed that this was no ordinary visitor. This was not just a a guard that they mistakenly saw. It says his countenance was like lightning. I don't I don't know how you describe that. I mean, if if you would have saw this person, what would your words have been to describe what he looked like? and we see the word white being used here that's that's god's glory or that's god's holiness being emphasized as well as we think of the angel that brought the good good and glad tidings to the shepherds i mean they were they were amazing to look upon they were they were bright as brother jeff talked about the light i mean god always uses light to penetrate the darkness as we think about his his face shining um Moses, when he came down from being with God on Mount Sinai, he had to hide his face. He had to put something in front of his face so he wouldn't scare the, uh, the children of Israel because he had been with God. And Jesus at the transfiguration, his, his face shone bright as well. So we see this is not any ordinary visitor. This was just a miraculous um, thing from God illustrating his power and his glory. Verse four, and for fear of him, the keep the keepers did shake and became as dead men. God can, by one and the same means, bring comfort to his believers and terror to his unbelievers. We see the difference between two types of people. the The women understood. I mean, they feared differently. Um, they they understood that that this messenger was from the Lord, but we see here that the soldiers fell asleep as dead men, it says, and some, um, as it says here, they were scared to death. And we see here, it's kind of an irony, the, the people that were trying to guard to keep Jesus in became dead, and Jesus became alive, so there's a little bit of irony in there. They actually switched places on that. Verse 5, And the angel answered and said unto the women, Fear fear not ye, for I know that ye seek Jesus, which was crucified. Throughout Scripture, and we're going to talk about that a little bit later, the Bible says, don't be afraid. Um, and that's important. We as Christians today, we have all of God's word, but we still fear. Well, there's still times in our lives that we may doubt. There's still times in our lives that, that our eyes... We can't see as God sees, obviously, and so we look at things here on Earth as, as humans, as infallible people. So I don't want to just throw us under the bus, so to speak, but we do have God's Word. We do have His Scriptures to encourage us, to enlighten us, and if we allow God, He will help us with our fears, as we see the angel doing to the, to the, uh, the women here. Like I said, I don't know what all the emotions were going through the women. They probably knew that they were going to experience the guards and they were probably fearful of that. You think of a few women going up and asking these rough, tough soldiers. These soldiers been through many wars and quite possibly had scars on their body and going up and asking if they could look in and uh, anoint the body of Jesus. So there's a lot of, a lot of unknown, a lot of unrest probably going through these women's minds as they went up to the to the tomb. Continue on in verse six. It says, He is not here for he is risen as he said. We have to, we have to really, I've underlined that in my Bible because Jesus always fulfilled his promise. There's never a time that he did not fulfill his promise. And if we go back, um to Matthew 27, 63, it says, this this is actually the chief priest telling Pilate that, that why they need to set a watch. It says, saying, sirs, remember that the deceiver said while he is let, yet alive, after three days I will rise again. And those, those words, after three days I will rise again, are in red. So that is Jesus speaking there. So continuing on, he says, come and see the place where the Lord lays, where the Lord laid. So he's he's giving the the women an opportunity to witness the resurrection, an opportunity to see the empty grave. And we can do that same thing today. We we don't have the the sepulcher and there's not really a proven place of of Jesus's actual sepulcher, but we can we can come and see right here in God's word. We can see his promises being fulfilled and they can increase our faith and strengthen our faith as the angel was telling the woman to to look in the, the scepter and see the, that Jesus had ridden, risen. Verse 7, it says, And go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. The women become the first missionaries to share the good news. And that went totally, like I said, against the Jewish tradition. They were to go and tell the disciples what they had seen and encourage them as well. Now I didn't, I didn't look into it, but it says, "And behold, he goeth before you into Galilee, and there you shall see him. Lo, I have told you." So there again, he's commanding the commanding the women to go and share the good news to the disciples of a predestinated place of where Jesus is going to meet them. In Matthew 26, verse 32, Jesus says, But after I am risen again, I will go before you into Galilee. And I didn't do a lot of detailed study in this, but I wonder if this wasn't a place where they had often met before because it doesn't say... And I would have thought Jesus would have told him specifically. So this might have been a special place where he had met with his disciples and and communed with them and taught them and and basically, I think one place it says on a mountain. But I did not I did not look that up for sure and study into that. Verse eight it says, and they departed quickly from the sepulcher with fear and great joy. How would we how would we have felt or what mixed emotions would have been going through us if we experienced something like this as as a women experienced? And how do you explain this to your friends? How do you explain this to the disciples that they were going back to uh tell? How do we process it? You know, each of us think differently, each of us um our minds work differently and how do you, how do we take this information and put it into practice from what we've saw verse 9 and as they went to tell his disciples behold jesus met them saying all hail um So the angel told them what to do. Now they had to act out on faith and obey. And I see Jesus rewarding their faith, rewarding their obedience, because it says, "As they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them." And we see Jesus here uh, again strengthening their faith. And he says, "All hail," which basically uh, is a Greek word for chairo. If I pronounce that, c h a i r o, which is a which is a form of rejoice. Um, of praise Jeff touched on this a little bit last Sunday and I want to turn to John chapter 20 as we look at Jesus talking to the um, talking to Mary just a little bit in John's account John chapter 20, I think we'll just we'll start at verse 11. But Mary stood without the sepulcher weeping, and as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the sepulcher, and seeing two angels in white sitting, the one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. And they said unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? And she said unto them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I know not where they have laid him. And when she had thus said, she turned herself back and saw Jesus standing and knew it was, knew not that it was Jesus. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? Whom seekest thou? She, supposed, supposing him to be the gardener, saith unto him, Sir, if thou would have borne thee hence, tell me where thou hast laid him, and I will take him away. So we see here Jesus opening up a conversation with her, but at this point in time she does not understand it's Jesus. But listen to the next verse. It says, Jesus said unto her, Mary. And immediately it says, she turned herself and saith unto him, Rabboni, which is the same master. What changed? What changed was that he called her by name. Isaiah 43, verse 1. And now thus saith the Lord that created the old Jacob, and he that formed the old Israel, filled Fear not, for I have redeemed thee. I have called thee by name. Thou art mine. Mary knew where she had come from. She had, she had a very, very uh, ill-lived life, and Jesus had cast seven demons out of her. She had been. She knew what the price was paid for her redemption. She had been redeemed. And I think Jesus giving that personal testimony to her, that personal uh, greeting to her, she understood right then and there who it was. So after he said all hail, continuing in, in Matthew 28, and they came and held him by his feet and worshiped him. Turneth me as we look at worship turneth me to Matthew chapter 2 it's an account where Jesus sorry that's not the verse I wanted okay Matthew 2:10 it's talking about rejoicing I have my my notes mixed up here. The Magi's, when they saw the star, they rejoiced with an exceedingly great joy, which that goes along with, with when he said, All hail. But the the scripture that I was wanting was when Jesus was being tempted in the desert by Satan. Um, Satan is trying to get Jesus to bow down and worship him. And Jesus said, In my own words, Thou shalt, not, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God only. So we see here is Jesus accepting worship. He is now allowing them to understand that he is Lord. He is, he is part of the God, the triune Godhead, and he's accepting worship here from them. So continue on in verse 11, it says, Now when they were going, behold, some of the watch came into the city and showed unto the chief priests all the things that were done. It says some, some of the watch. So I'm, from my understanding, as i done a little studying, this, they expected, they were expecting possibly up to 11 men, um, the disciples coming up to the tomb to steal the body of Jesus. Some of the accounts, some of the commentaries say there could have been possibly up to 60 soldiers guarding the tomb. I'd never really thought about being that many. But it was enough there to discourage anybody from trying to steal the body of Jesus. So as we say here, Some of the watch came into the city, so some of the commentaries felt like this would have been the leaders of the guards that they were going to explain to the chief priest what they experienced. Um, It wasn't all of them. I don't know where the rest went. Um, I'm sure they didn't stick around to find out what was going on. I just wonder... Like I said before, these were hardened soldiers. They they wouldn't have put just uh, dry behind the ear soldiers to guard this tomb. They they did not want anything to happen. They were scared that, that Jesus was gonna fulfill his promise and that they were scared the disciples were gonna come. So I believe these were soldiers that were hardened. These were soldiers that had experienced battle. They knew what to do if somebody come to try to confront them. They were they were there to discourage any of that and possibly kill anyone that came in contact with the tomb. But I wonder is all the battles that they have faced, they obviously had never faced an earthquake and they've never faced possibly one to two angels. Um and they never experienced the tomb being, the stone being rolled away in the magnitude that it was. Continued on in verse twelve, it says, "And when they were assembled with the elders, they had taken counsel and gave large money into the soldiers." And so we see here the chief priests and the elders trying to decide what to do with this story that the soldiers had told them. They did not want this getting out. They did not want um, this, the story of Jesus getting out of his resurrection, him actually fulfilling the promise that he said, because they felt at this time that he was a deceiver. They didn't understand that he was the Messiah. And it really goes to show how deceitful these leaders were back then. And they gave the soldiers large amounts of money. I don't know what that would have been, but the money that they were entrusted in, this was money for the temple. This was money to be used for God. And here they're using the money that's to be used for God to pay people to lie about the resurrection. It's just, it's just hard to understand their, their thinking, their concept behind all of this. Continue on in 13. So here they are saying... They 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 met, they counseled together, they say, Here's the story that we want you to tell. And so they paid the, the soldiers and they're gonna say, This is this is what you need to tell. And we're gonna we're gonna blow this whole lie out of the water um in verse thirteen. It says, Say ye his disciples came by night and stole him away while we slept. Now there's a lot of things in this verse that cannot be true. If they were asleep, number one how could they have tell how could they have told it was the disciples that came and got Jesus? And we see here, these were, like we talked about, these were hardened soldiers. They weren't apt to fall asleep at night. They were here to guard. That was their job. They wouldn't fall asleep and, and allow um, some eleven poor, timid, frightened men come and roll the stone back. And not only that, rolling the stone back would have been noisy. It's not something you can do quietly. You would have thought it would have woke at least one of them. And they would have found out. And there's another thing that that is known here as if you were a Roman guard and you fell asleep on duty, it was punishable by death. So these were not men that were just going to fall asleep on purpose, or that you know. There's that's why we can take this whole story and say it's not true. There's so many things here that's going against them. So in verse fourteen we again see the deceitfulness of the, the leaders of, of the children of the Hebrews. It says, If this come to the governor's ears, we will persuade him and secure you. So they had pretty good influence. They they knew that they had um won over Pilate one, so they could win him over again. They knew that if the soldiers lied, they could be punished. If they, if the word got back to Pilate that they had fell asleep They would be put to death And so the chief priests are going to say No, we'll cover for you You go ahead and keep telling this lie And we'll cover for you And make sure that you're not going to be killed So continue on in verse 15 So they took the money and did as they were taught And this saying is commonly reported among the Jews And to this day My understanding, Matthew. This account of Matthew is written. Some commentaries thought somewhere to seven to ten years actually after the actual happening of the resurrection, and one commentator even said thirty years. So it wasn't just right away. This was an account. So the story had gotten out that that the disciples had stole the body of Jesus, and so Matthew is setting the record straight of what actually happened several years after the resurrection. I wanted to think of the soldiers just a little bit as they experienced the same thing that the women experienced. Um, But yet, they didn't claim Jesus as their Messiah. So, and we'll talk about that a little bit later, but... um, I just thought about that as we as as I was studying. You know, they had full opportunity to understand what happened, but for some reason, they didn't. They didn't choose the same um, way to look at it as as the uh, as as the women did. And understandably, I mean, they they weren't Jewish, but they were Gentiles. I don't know if they ever heard Jesus preaching through Jerusalem or not, but I believe some of the some of the ones were there at the tomb that were at the, at the crucifixion as well. They were sent to guard him. So continued on in verse 16, it says, Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee, into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. So there we see that they were commanded to go to the mountain. And as we as we said already, Matthew is pertaining to um, actual events and actual numbers. So he says eleven. Eleven means incomplete, imperfect. There were twelve. Eleven means that he remembered the betrayal betrayal of Judas. Um, eleven also means fallible. But Jesus uses that exact same thing today. He uses an imperfect person like me, an imperfect person like you, an imperfect church to spread the good news of Jesus Christ. He uses uses an incomplete person and makes him complete to do his perfect will. To back that up, uh, Philippians 1. Six. It says, "Being confident of the very thing that He hath begun a good work in you, will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ." It's nothing that we can do. It's only by the the work of Jesus Christ in our own lives and the Holy Spirit. Yes. Um. As we look at where they were to go, into Galilee. Why Galilee? Why not? Why not meet in Jerusalem? Why not meet in the temple? Um. It's like we stated before. I think I. This is just my thoughts. I believe it's a special place for them. Um, Galilee equaled Gentiles. And I think that's another way of Jesus, again, trying to challenge their way of thinking. The good news is going to be carried to the Gentiles. And I think that's one of the reason why he, he led them there. Verse 17 um, and it says, when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And that that struck me. Some doubted. Even after seeing Jesus, after seeing his resurrected body and seeing the, his hands and his feet and his pierced side. some still doubted. Well, the word doubted comes from the word jesazo, if I pronounce this right, which basically means two ways or to hesitate. Um... They wanted to believe, but were torn. And can we be that way today? There's things that happen in our life. We, we want to trust in God. We want to believe that God's going to take care of it, but we're torn. Um... I like to I like to use the illustration of a child riding a bike. I mean, that's that's I, I'm a simple man, and sometimes simple images helps me understand it. A child riding a bike, they know they know it can be done because they've saw you do it, and they know that they can trust you. But it, they have to actually make the choice to get on the bike and start pedaling and trust that what you're telling them. Yeah, there's going to be some falls. There's going to be some scrapes. There's going to be some some possible bruises but in the end it's going to be awesome it's going to be an awesome experience and i think that's a little bit the same experience the disciples were, were dealing with they they wanted to believe they knew they knew god's te- jesus's teachings but it was just actual faith of of belief that jesus is who he says he is So in, in Luke sixteen thirty one, it says, And he saith unto him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. I think that kind of goes back to doubting the actual um, the resurrection wasn't enough to totally just blow them out of the water to, to just blindly walk out in faith. Um, but we see here Jesus doesn't rebuke the disciples. He understands their doubt, but speaks to their faith. Um, He understands their frailty, but calls him to still carry on his work. You see, to God, our ability is less important than our availability. Think about that for a little bit. Our ability is less important than our availability in far as spreading the gospel. Our ability can even get in the way of God's role in our achievement if it obscures God's role in our achievement i have a I have a picture on my phone, and I've shared it with some as far as thought I had it brought up here I can show you the picture after after church, but it shows this guy he's at he's at a door. And the top of the picture says me trying to monitor the things I left in God's hands. And he's peering around the the door. He says, hey, it's me again, just checking up on the status. And I find myself so many times in that same, same dilemma is I want to trust that it's in God's hands, but I'm continually peering around the door just making sure that everything's okay, that God's got it. And I see that the disciples here are in that same predicament. So verse eighteen, um, and, and it says, "And Jesus came and spake unto them." As we look at that, I've underlined that Jesus coming to them. They were there to go. Uh, they didn't. They obviously got there before Jesus did, and then Jesus came. As we look at look at that, normally the lesser approaches the greater. The disciple approaches the master. Um, the sick goes to the healer, not the other way around. But Jesus reverses that role; he's coming to them, and that that illustrates his approachability. And the same approachability that we have as Christians, we can't wait for people to come to us. Jesus is teaching us to go to out into the world, to go out and, and seek other people that are that are lost, seek other people that are hurting and discouraged, and to be available to help them, to listen to them, to uh, teach them about Jesus and to share the good news of the gospel. I don't know about you, but I I enjoy sharing the good news, but I, I like to do it when it's convenient for me. I like to do it when it's easy. But so many times that's not the way it is. Sometimes it may be the call in the night or it may be um, the most inconvenient time you're busy and somebody has something to to, that has a burden that they want to share with you and it's it so many times it's not not the um, like you said the most convenient time or or the easiest and maybe it's just the fact that I want to experience the big moment of when they accept Christ, but yet that's not what I'm called. Maybe I'm called just to plant the seed um, that certain day and God's going to get the increase and if somebody on down the road can lead them to Christ, share the gospel. Continue on the verse it says, "All power is given to me in heaven and earth basically illustrates that Jesus now has power given to him by God over heaven and the earth. He's defeated death and hell, he's kicked Satan in the teeth, he's defeated him, and now we can live victorious lives through him. I like to think this as being in a more of an offensive role. Jesus is now has been teaching. If you want to allow me to use a sports term here, um, Jesus has helped them practice, and now he's saying, we're going to go offensive now. We're We're going to score a touchdown. We're going to hit a home run. I've given you everything you need to know. It's time for you to do your part. In verse 19, it says, Go, therefore, and teach all nations. So again, Jesus is challenging them that not just the Jews are going to be able to be saved, it's all nations, all nations, tongues, um, and kindred. And they're supposed to go to there and and spread the gospel. As we look at teaching, I'm not a teacher, but teaching takes time, teaching takes patience. It's not something that a lot of times people have to be repeated over and over and over again before they grasp something. At least that is the way with me. Um, and as a student and a follower of of God, we learn as we grow. So we, we may learn something. We're like onions as, as we peel an onion. There's many layers, and that's a lot of times how we grow, we'll layer by layer um, in our own lives. And not only do we learn what they've taught us, we have to put it into practice. That's a, basically the... The gift of a teacher is to show them how to put their teachings into practice to better their lives. And as he continues on, it says, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. So here again we see Jesus bringing the whole triune Godhead in, in account here. They're, they're in a relationship with all three faces of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. As we look at teaching people as discipling people, discipling doesn't stop once they uh, accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior. The discipling goes on. I'm glad that I still have people in my life that's teaching me. I'm still glad that God's teaching me and showing me and encouraging me to grow in my own walk with Him. verse 20 continue uh, teaching them to observe all things so many times we want to we want to learn the things that are easy to us but here we see that they're to observe all the commandments of God's scripture not just certain things we can't pick and choose the things that we want to learn about um, he's telling them to make sure you teach all of the scriptures to you as we look at languages there's a um, Wednesday night we had a uh, DVD series that we've been watching and I didn't know this, but the word hallelujah and amen is universal. Maybe some of you knew that, but if you say, so the story that he gave was there's two men on a ship and they were from different different nations, different languages, and they both went out on the stern of the ship, the front of the ship to to read and meditate on God's word, and as they was coming around they they both saw that each person had a Bible, and they obviously couldn't speak the other's language. So the first guy, he said hallelujah, which basically means praise the Lord. And the other one said amen. And they had an embrace that only Christ can, can uh, bring through him, brother to brother. The task today is still overwhelming. Um, the world is not getting any easier. It's just as dangerous. It has grown ever more complex but we're still called to spread the gospel. As was touched already, as the the disciples were on the road to Emmaus and Jesus shared the gospel to them, does your hearts burn like theirs burned today? Are you still excited about the gospel? I just want to leave you with this. Um, Jesus said, And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. Amen. Basically, in lo, it says, Behold, is is another... um, Word that you could put in there. It says, I am with you always, even to the world, to the end of the world. Amen. So Jesus' promise is no matter what happens, no matter where we're called to spread the gospel, He is with us always. So the challenge I'd like to leave with you this morning as we look in in verse 6 and 7, come, see, go, and tell. If you want to look at those words and do your own studying on your own, but that is... What God is telling us to do today is to go share his love through Christ Jesus and to share the gospel.